Welcome to Here We Grow, a grassroots podcast by Southwest Georgia Farm Credit focused on education and inspiring growth down on the farm, at home, and in rural communities. Whether you're a farmer or farm her, advocate, land lover, or southern dweller, we have industry experts and homegrown leaders ready to share their insights with you. Thanks for listening. Here We Grow with Episode 7 of our new podcast. Today's theme is the belief that there's truly no place like home for the holidays. I'm your host, Billy Billings, a relationship manager with Southwest Georgia Farm Credit. I welcome co-host Jordan Gilbert to the studio, along with guest speakers Natalie Kerbo and Brandon Godwin. If you're asking Santa for a new key under the tree, a historic home renovation, or a custom home build this Christmas or into the new year, today's experts have prepared some great content just for you. Learn about the joys of rural living, timeless architecture, buying your first home, rehabbing a historic home, and building your dream home on today's episode. Jordan, Natalie, Brandon, thank you all for joining us today. First on the list today is Miss Jordan Gilbert, a native of Bainbridge, Georgia. Jordan joined the Southwest Georgia Farm Credit Team in 2017. She assists clients with navigating the home buying process from start to finish, including the origination of residential mortgages for purchase and refinance. Jordan has extended sales and customer service experience and provides a wealth of knowledge about the local housing market, as well as how Farm Credit does business throughout this area. Jordan is passionate about educating her clients on the home loan options, explaining the pros and cons of each of them. There's nothing more satisfying to her than seeing a happy customer find a home they love and could grow their family in. Jordan, welcome today. Thank you, Billy. We're so excited to have everyone today. Thank you both for coming. We're excited about to talk about being at home for the holidays, what that means to you, the current housing market and construction to perm products and constructing your home. So being home for the holidays, what it means to me, obviously it's about family, but I also have a three-year-old little boy. So the excitement for me and Christmas has just started for us. So it's really exciting to see him bring back the magic and the spirit of Christmas. So with that, I would like to ask each of you what your favorite pastime or Christmas tradition is and being at home for the holidays, what that means to you. Most of my holiday memories, like many others, revolve around the kitchen table. Um, And so one of my favorite things every year now that we have children is my husband's grandmother is Italian. Uh, So one of our traditions that we've kind of taken over since she has passed was that we make a cookie called Pizzelli's, which is like a little waffle cookie, kind of like a waffle cone flat. Um, And they're very Italian and not a sweet, sugary cookie. So to balance that out, we do my family's sugar cookie recipe. (laughs) And so we, every year, that's part of our tradition is baking both types of cookies to kind of bring both of our family traditions together. Um, So cookies are a big part of our family traditions at the holidays. What about you, Brandon? Um, My mother was a wonderful cook, so um, had many memories around the dinner table and in the kitchen with her baking and eating cookies before they were, you know, put on the table. I think just getting together with people that you don't see a lot and just slowing down for just a moment. And that's not always easy to do when you run a business. And, um, but of course, football always comes to mind. I don't know what it is about football and holidays, whether you know how to play or not. It's just like, it brings people together to talk. And so that's my memories of Christmas food, football, and just sharing a little bit of time with each other that we don't often get during the the main part of the year. 
Awesome. I agree. Thank you both. Um, Natalie, I'm excited to hopefully try some of those cookies. Yeah. Part, um, of, part of that is delivering cookies to people because we <laughs> inevitably make way too many. <laughs> well, without further ado, I couldn't be more excited to introduce everyone to one of the many realtors I have the privilege to work with, Miss Natalie Carbo. In a past life, Natalie practiced law in a corporate setting before shifting gears and becoming a real estate agent at Premier Group Realty in 2019. There, and as Good Morning Bainbridge, a brand she began back in 2014, she is an active realtor, an Airbnb superhost, and rehabilitates historic homes downtown, both as rental property and for sale. She lives downtown in a 1906 Folk Victorian renovation project with her husband, Wheat, children, Adela and Bo. Their three dogs and a flock of backyard chickens. She is a believer in historic preservation, a sense of community, and a slower way of living. Natalie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your favorite thing about real estate is and all the good things. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So back in 2014, I was still practicing as an attorney and I started an anonymous Instagram account called Good Morning Bainbridge. And not being from Bainbridge, I fell in love with living here as soon as I moved here about 10 years ago now, 11 years ago. And I didn't see anything showcasing the parts of Bainbridge that I saw and the parts of Southwest Georgia that I saw. And so I started this anonymous little account. And every morning I would just say, good morning from Bainbridge. And here's something pretty I saw today. And so that kind of turned into the universe's way of telling me I needed to sell houses Um, (laughs) I've always loved houses and I love this area and I spend a lot of time doing that anonymously and obviously it's just a little hobby and people started messaging me and saying, well, where do I eat when I come to town? And, um, do you know of anywhere to rent? And, um, do you know of any houses like this one for sale? And, um, I saw where a house, where this house went for sale. Um, or I saw a sign up in the yard. How do I get in touch with somebody? And, it kind of eventually just turned into like, okay, I got it. Like, I think this is what I need to do. (laughs) And so I got my license back in 2019. And now I get the privilege and the pleasure of helping people find houses here um, with thanks to people like y'all at Southwest Georgia Farm Credit. Um, It's been a fun ride. It's been a wild ride with the pandemic. Um, We've seen more people move into town the past two and a half years than probably we've seen in a really long time. And it's been an interesting journey seeing where people are coming from. We've had a lot of lateral moves um, when interest rates were so low. We had people moving up, moving across town, moving to different parts of town, moving from town to the country and from country to town. And uh, we also had a lot of people moving from other states. I've sold houses in the past two years to people from California, New York, Iowa, just kind of all over the place. Um, so that's been really interesting to see people love our area just like we do. It's been a really fun way to share what I think are the best parts about Bainbridge. It was part of my dream when I got my real estate license to show people who weren't from here how great it is here. And that kind of ended up turning into the idea to have the Airbnb. So I picked up a little house from not far from where we sit right now. Uh, moved it across town, parked it on Broughton Street, 
and renovated it there. And so since 2021, I've been hosting guests and pretty much nonstop. I'd, I had a lot of people wonder if I was crazy or not, um, but I felt really sure that people would want to see Bainbridge the way we see it and experience it every day. And so we live right downtown. We walk a lot of places. We ride our golf cart. We ride bikes. We Our kids scooter all over town. And people come for a little while and they love it. I think since the pandemic, people have really started to appreciate a rural way of life and small town values and a sense of community that you just don't get in a bigger city a lot of times. And so I think that's what people are seeking, whether they come for a little while or if they come to stay forever. It's really appealing for people when they come here and visit. That's kind of been the most frequent feedback I've gotten from guests and from buyers is they just can't believe how welcoming our area is and how friendly everyone is. And that makes me really proud. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I mean, Southern hospitality at its finest down here in Bainbridge, Georgia. Um, as rates are rising, um, I'll ask you first, Natalie, and then Jordan, you can echo her. Are you seeing prices starting to drop any yet? I know that the rates are still on the rise. We're expecting another Federal Reserve hike, hike on Prime probably in December, um, which will bring Prime up to almost close to 8%. Are you seeing, um, I know there's been appreciation of real estate in our area the past few years. Are you seeing those prices stall? Are you seeing listings taking longer right now? Just tell me what you're seeing out there. I think it's a little bit of all of that. We have had some price drops. Most of those, I think, were probably a little overpriced to begin with, um, potentially. We have seen buyers slow, but it's not dried up. It, we still have people moving to town. We still have people looking for houses. Um, it's just kind of leveled out, I would say, more so. Um, the rate hikes are kind of scaring people, but I tell a lot of my buyers, you know, Shoot, when I had student loans in 2009, they were 12% government-backed, you know. So I think that we're kind of just coming back to a more normal, quote-quote, right. pace. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly is not dried up by any means. Um, we are still busy, and I think that most most everyone is feeling that still. Um, but it's kind of nice for a little bit of a slower slower pace, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. It's been wide open for several years. Yes. I mean, ever since the rates dropped when the p- pandemic hit, I guess that was early 2020, maybe it was 21? March 2020. March 2020. <laughs> rates fell through the floor. A lot of refinances happened, happened and then um, a lot of people were able to afford mortgages that they wouldn't afford at the 7 8 9% mark. When That's they right. get down to 35 4%, you can start buying a lot more. So, Jordan, what are you seeing out there? Well, I think that this um, actually, even though rates are really high, it's providing an opportunity for first-time home buyers to negotiate possibly closing costs. Um, it's um, it's it's not as competitive of a market for them. They're not competing against people who are often offering forty and fifty thousand dollars more than asking price. Um, so, and just like Natalie said, a lot of times when I'm talking with my borrowers, I'm like. You know, you're currently renting your, your property right now. You know, why don't you build some equity? And, um, you know, what are you paying on your, your interest on your credit card? You know, compare that. Um, so I, I do think that it's offering a better opportunity for first-time home buyers. 
Um, I would agree we, with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely less. We're not we're not in many multiple offer situations <clears throat> anymore, which has made it a lot easier for people to have a chance at a house that they want. A lot of times, we would make offers on houses three, four times before a buyer could even have a shot at a house in 2021. Right. right. Well, circling back to our first time home buyers, um, Jordan, when going to the closing table, what are the costs that they're going to incur on top of just the purchase of the property? What can they, I mean, prep themselves for as far as closing costs and just what do those closing costs entail? Um, typically, they're going to see anywhere from 2 to 3% of the loan amount. Um, but what I always like to tell um, really any of my buyers is to talk with their real estate agent about the possibility of the seller offering seller concessions. And there's such there's there's certain percentages that the seller can contribute to closing um, and pay some of those closing costs. I've had first-time home buyers before um, who have done um, USDA loans, and the seller was willing to contribute to closing, and they walked out of there without having to bring any money to the table. So there's there's lots of opportunity out there for first-time home buyers. Um, it's just finding the right ones who, who can explain that to them and help them understand. I hate this phrase, but it, there's a million ways to skin a cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the truth, though. And if you're a first-time home buyer looking to buy a new home, um, I would back into it two ways. Definitely reach out to someone like Jordan and myself. I mean, begin to search for a pre-approval of a dollar amount that you think you're willing to spend on a home. But also, I mean, get in... Get in close with your realtor and build that relationship because, I mean, they have people calling them left and right. That brings us to our third guest today, Mr. Brandon Godwin. He's a native of Thomasville, Georgia. Brandon is a passionate artist, architect, and an outdoorsman who also enjoys various competitive sports while playing the piano when he has time. Brandon attended Southern Polytech State University in Atlanta, Georgia, where he obtained a professional degree in architecture. He's licensed in six states. Wow, Brandon. Practice architecture all over the country, ranging from Los Angeles to Sea Island. He's also a licensed contractor and develops his own real estate investments. His architecture firm specializes in custom, higher-end residential, historic preservation, and small, mid-sized commercial architecture. His passion for South Georgia and North Florida has kept him close to live by and work and hoping to keep the area vibrant and fresh for future generations. Brandon, welcome. Thanks, Billy. Well, I will say he is definitely a talented artist. I haven't heard his piano skills, but I've seen his architecture work, and he's talented there. So kind of tell us what you're working on now, um, what your passion is, what your, I guess, your favorite home to build, if there is one, and uh, we'll tie everybody back in here in a second. Well, again, thanks for um, inviting me to the show, and it's nice to kind of get away from the office for a few hours and um, you know talk about the reality of uh, – as we've been covering the market, you know, it's, we're all in this together, whether you're loaning money, you're showing property, you're looking for property, selling property, or you're on my side of the fence, you're designing or you're renovating because we're all kind of in the same, we're helping people go from, I want a home, I need a home or an office building. How do I get there? So we all kind of have to pull some weight here. Um, and it's, that's the cool thing about my job is getting to work with different people, different professionals. You, you build relationships, you make new friends, and uh, we're all really in one community trying to just keep the ball rolling. The reason I came back to Thomasville, Bainbridge area, you know, I, we're all so closely related. We're all 30, 45 miles away, you know, Bainbridge, Thomasville, Valdosta, Tallahassee. I'm from Thomasville, but I went to school in Atlanta. 
I graduated during kind of a rough time in uh, 2010 area. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Could have stayed in Atlanta. Had uh, plenty of opportunities to work at big firms and design some cool stuff, but uh, it was a, a you know, tricky market. Um, and I just had a gut feeling to go back South Georgia. And my heart's always been here. And I felt like, well, there's a lot of old architects around here. And there's not a lot of young, fresh blood coming back. So I knew if I could just learn and pay my dues, those guys were going to exit, um, retire. And um, But there's something cool about you know, this movement from large urban environments where, you know, in the old days, it, like you had to go to a big city and to make a big living or to do cool stuff. Well, that's not necessarily the case anymore. The internet's changed the world, social media. So we all can enjoy a high quality life in these rural, rural areas. Um, and, and we're close to Tallahassee and that does help, you know, uh, piggybacking off that. So I looked at the big picture, why I came back. Um, I had to learn a lot that I didn't learn in architecture school because the way that education is geared now, but um, through a you know, working with some talented older architects, and I appreciate what they did for me when I was younger. It's allowed me to just really make a good living here and and give back to this area because a lot of these old little historic towns around here, they dried up. I mean, we all drive these little ghost towns. And they're like, wow, what a beautiful old house. They're just sitting there. What a little downtown Main Street. You know, you can just imagine what this was like 100 years ago. And unfortunately, someone just never quite made it back. But when I, you know, Thomas has done a great job preservation, pumping money into it. I'm seeing, you know, Moultrie's held on, held on pretty good. You know, there's always stuff going on about Asta. Uh, Bainbridge is really coming along. And I've always been intrigued with Bainbridge because the water features and the proximity to uh, Tallahassee, Thomasville is always pretty insulated financially. Me being an outdoorsman, I grew up hunting and fishing like Seminole. So my heart's always been you know, halfway in Decatur County, halfway in Thomas County. But I watched Bainbridge, you know, when I graduated college, came back. I, I, I remember one of the architects I worked for, he's from Bainbridge, and he had me come over here and study places to put some new restaurants. But the market was not ready. So now I see it, and I'm really excited about what's happening here. I've personally been investing in Bainbridge. So, you know, to answer your questions, that's a lot of things kind of pulled me back to this area. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and it, it has really all worked out for the best. Yeah, to see the resurgence in Bainbridge in this downtown area the past few years has really been inspiring. Um, from the new restaurants to the new stores, it's really trying to put itself back on the map. I mean, there's a lot of other surrounding small towns that are still, I wouldn't say squandering, but I mean, they're struggling to find commerce and struggling to find ways to bring back the next generation to carry on and to to find a big house for you to come renovate for them. But um, I'm sure they're going to come. It's just a matter of when. It's just when I moved back from you know, or moved back from Houston, I wasn't sure whether I was going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, or come down here closer to the family. And I quickly realized that the quality of life down here is, uh, is much higher. Uh, I don't want to be stuck in traffic an hour on the way to work and an hour home. While my drive is 35 minutes now to the office, it's, it's uh, Longleaf Pines. And, I mean, the only risk of hitting anything is going to be a piece of wildlife and not another car. So definitely is just a great area to live. I think, yeah. too, it's important to note, you know, like Brandon was saying and you were saying about moving to a bigger city. When you move to a small town, I think people are realizing that if you're willing to take a little risk, you can afford to do it here. And you don't get that luxury in a big city. You know, you can afford to rent a space and start a business here. You can... You could be a big fish in a small pond. Right. And yeah, the margins are still there. there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I have 
I have friends and colleagues that live elsewhere that make a lot more than me probably, but they're they're still renting just because their purchasing power in these larger cities is 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 not there. But I mean, if they would bite the bullet and come on down, they quickly realize that they would um, be welcomed down here and um, they would be able to actually purchase something and not rent it. So tell them to give me a call. <laughs> yeah, all great points here. I mean, the rates are unfortunately probably going to rise again from the es- experts that I'm listening to and the and my mentors. They expect that the uh, the rates will plateau the middle of next year and then maybe begin falling back in uh, in 2024. I don't know if they'll ever get to where they were. Uh, during the pandemic in March and June, July of 2020, where they got down in the the twos and three percent for 30-year fixed rates, but historically we're still below the long-term averages. I mean, I think after this next rate hike, we'll be a, back above them, but I do expect to see rates come back down in in 2024, um, if not 2025. Brandon, a quick question for you: What is um and and Natalie, you talked about moving a house through town. What goes into moving a house? Because someone as simple-minded as me cannot begin. I know of mobile homes, but uh, y'all are moving um, historic, hard hardwood, hardy pine houses. So how does that work? I mean, it's pretty much exactly like you would imagine. They jack them up and put them on a trailer that has its own steering mechanism. And... Then you just kind of follow it <laughs> and take a lot of pictures. Um, they back it up and put it on a brand new foundation, and it's as good as new. But the old houses, you know, I think Brandon and I both have a passion for this and have gotten to be friends over this. Um, the old houses, just they, they hold up to a move a lot better than a new one. The old lumber isn't going anywhere. Um, and not just moving in general. Um a lot of the houses that I work with are ones that most people would probably say to tear down. But the reason that they're still standing is because they were made out of old, you know, heart pine wood that can stand the test of time. And so I think that that's something worth saving, even if you do have to pick it up and move it. And yeah. I know Brandon feels the same way. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, we look at the world we're in now. Yeah, you know, an old house, when you renovate it, yeah, it's a it's a. It's a pain, and it's going to cost you some money. However, you know, if we look at a long-term investment, you cannot get that piece of wood at Home Depot. You can't even custom order it off the Internet. So, you know, we look at things from a preservation standpoint, like, all right, what's the value of that, the frame, you know, the skeleton, the a building's like a human body. We have to dissect it, and, you know, we tear them apart, but we put them back together. And as Natalie said, you can't replace the quality, and they can handle the longevity. They can handle that you know, renovation here, renovation there. This new wood, you just buy at Lowe's or Home Depot, or it's just not the same. And so uh, the value it's um, of renovating old houses, which is what you often have to do in these small towns, because most people are not mass building million-dollar mansions like you might see in Buckhead or, you know, larger populated areas. You know, Yeah, every now and then someone builds a really nice big house in South Georgia. But Honestly, most of it's renovations, and it's adaptive reuse of recycling buildings, which is really important for the environment long haul. Um, you know, as we got to worry about pollution, you know, for our future generations, and we talk about that a lot in school and sustainability. You know, we cannot ignore that. I mean, it's so wasteful to just abandon a building just to go build another building. Like, so you're seeing, you know, the statistics are 50 percent of the future of architecture and development is recycling buildings. And that's one reason why historic preservation is so important. And it revives these little historic towns. And people want to be there. They want to, they're, they're, I'm not saying abandoning big cities, but they love coming to South Georgia, 
look at these little main streets that have been revitalized and just that's a real calling card and it's a economic stimulator so it all works in together and like we recycle these little neighborhoods and pump new life into it and you see more you know uh, people you know going to college coming back or wherever you know high quality living is um scooping up these old houses so yeah natalie's got a passion for it i have a passion for it it's a it's a long-term really good investment to buy a historic house whether you live there or renovate it just to rent it or whatever um, it's not a waste of money at all Mm-hmm. And I will say from a realtor's perspective and as a um, Airbnb host, that is where people are shifting the demand is they want to be in a walkable area. They want to be near what they like to do. They want to be near where they go to eat. They want to be near where they want to play, where, where they go to work. And so a lot of the demand I've seen shift since I started selling real estate is less from we don't really have suburbs here, but from the neighborhoods furthest from the city center towards the immediate area surrounding downtown or kind of the opposite. People either want to move to the country outside of town near a cute small town where they can go to shop and go out to eat, um, or they want to be right in the thick of it in downtown. And that requires us to save these buildings that are in this perimeter right around our central business district. Um, And so that is has shifted where money is being spent on housing right now. Very nice. All right. So say you already live here and you have a house that may maybe historic, maybe just outdated, built in the 1950s, 1960s. I wouldn't call that historic yet. And you're looking to add some value to the house. And maybe the husband's on one side of the fence, the wife's on the other. Where can you get your your most money out of your or most return out of your money? Do you do you redo the kitchen and you put on granite? granite countertops do you and i'm not talking add a new bed or bath i mean i'm taking this existing square footage do you redo the bathroom with the old teal or brown tile and make it a little um little larger we just did that at my house and while i was perfectly fine with that small bathroom i love the new elbow room we got in there now Uh, i can now shave my legs and um (laughs) or do you go and uh redo the kitchen so Brandon, I'll let you take that one first, and Natalie can get from there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure Natalie's going to have um, – she's renovated a lot herself. And, um, again, we see the same things. Um, Natalie does her own developments as well as sell and buy, so uh, we overlap a lot. Um, you know, I'm speaking as a architect and contractor here because I see both sides of this fence. I have to deal with budgets, which is a huge driver, as you said. When you're on the fence – yeah, we all dream big, and we all go to Pinterest, and we all go to, you know, we watch TV and look at social media. But the reality is uh, there's a reason why those buildings and houses have been photographed because they're very nice, and uh, we have to often, you know, talk about budget. So if I'm on the fence, uh, yeah, the kitchen and the master bath do help resell. That's per square foot your expensive spaces, especially the kitchen. You know, you got appliances, you got you know, you can go as high end as you want them, uh, the finishes. Um, and it's such an me- important meeting space. As we were talking about earlier, right, with the Christmas holidays. I mean, that kitchen is going to get lots of use, lots of miles put on it. So, um, yeah, you want a nice kitchen. But also, you know, where are you going to sit and look? You know, do you have a beautiful view out the back? Um, you know, I don't really deal with furniture, but I deal with a lot of interior designers. And they will often just change out furniture or, you know, redo some paint. Uh, paint changes dramatically the experience of a space makes it feel bigger more lively 
yeah, you're talking about changing countertops. Maybe you don't want to spend $50,000 on new cabinets, so you just want to resurface the tops. Um, quartz and granites, you know, kind of a popular choice. Um, it's not going to break the bank. You know, just switching out a few light fixtures. You can get some really cool stuff now without going super high end that looks kind of, looks a little nice. So, um, you know, little stuff like that, um, just small strategies, work with the same square footage. A good Paint the outside of the house. Put some new plants in the front yard. You know, anything to change the curb appeal. And it makes you feel excited to drive up to it. And then you feel better about it. You're going to appreciate it more. And so little things like that. I don't think drive the cost too much, but um, really add value to the house. Right. And I would add to that, you know, I tell my clients a lot. You're the person living in this house. And to only design your home for resale value is a big mistake a lot of people make, I think. Trying to predict what other people will like in your home is a little bit tough. Um, You live there, whether it's for a little while or a long time. And so making your home what what you want it to be and what makes you happy when you're in it, I think, is something that people realized was really important over the pandemic. Because we spent a lot more time at home than we ever did yeah. before. And people realized, like, I don't care what three owners down the line think of my kitchen. I want to like my kitchen. Um, so I think that that's the most important thing to me. Um, and those houses with personality typically sell faster than all gray, all white, all, you know, just safe. Um, Brandon and I talk about this a lot on our personal projects that, you know, playing it safe doesn't get you in a magazine. No, absolutely not. And so, you know, I think the main thing is to just have a home that you love and that you love to be in and that you want to invite others into. And I think as we enter the holidays, we all think that that's really important. Um, and then as a perfectly practical, um, opinion, systems sell houses, People can change cosmetics. What will sell your house fastest is a dry roof and, you know, plumbing that is perfectly functioning and a new air conditioner. You know, things like that. Systems sell houses. Um, Deferred maintenance is what will keep you from selling your house. So, like Brandon mentioned, painting your house. If your house needs a paint job, paint it now. Don't wait. Um, You will lose more money on resale for deferred maintenance then you can probably gain by fixing your kitchen. So that's my, my very functional and practical answer. But <laughs> All right, y'all, I'm going to go through a few questions we got off of our social media poll um, the past few weeks. And um, the first one's for you, Miss Natalie. Um, what are you hearing from your Airbnb hosts when they come to Decatur County? What are the things that they highlight that made their trip or um, just things that really stood out to you that probably come second nature to us just being here and enjoying it day to day? Um, but they don't do they don't have in these bigger cities or do they just said, hey, this was awesome. Well, so I have learned a lot about why people visit Decatur County and southwest Georgia. Uh, I thought that most of our tourism are I'm trying to make the hashtag small town tourist a thing. So y'all can y'all can join me in that. Um, but I thought that most of it would be geared towards like our central business district. I bet that that's what it was going to be because I live near it and located the house next to the central business district. Um, So I thought the historic district in downtown would be the biggest draw. What I have found is while that is a huge draw, the biggest 
I guess, um, category of tourism has been agritourism. Uh, people stay in my little Airbnb and they spend the night there. Uh, but I get a lot of bass fishermen going to Lake Seminole whose wives would prefer to stay in town. I get a ton of people who are traveling to other places in southwest Georgia, um, the Colomoke Indian Mounds, um, Providence Canyon, you know, Lake Seminole, the Flint River. Um, I have people, I learned some new things. Um, besides our little immediate area with like the Christmas tree farms and um, different kind of agritourism related to that, there's a wolf preserve in Chipley, Florida that I have had several guests go to. Um, the trout lily bloom in Cairo. I have people come every year for that. And it's actually been a competitive, um, I'm only one room, one room, one bedroom, one bathroom, and one living dining area. And so it's just a little shotgun house. And so I'm actually currently, my demand has been such that my next project or one of my next projects is I'm trying to finish another Airbnb across the street from that one. Um, I have been so shocked uh, how how much agritourism has driven demand for it. And a lot of times the people who are staying with me are folks that are seeking outdoor adventures in our area. And therefore, they are not your average hotel kind of people. And so they like having a porch and a patio and a swing to sit on. And, you know, they want to walk to dinner and that kind of thing. And so it's a very different tourist, I've found, uh, that is seeking our outdoor activities in our area. Right. Very nice. Well, when you look to finish that other Airbnb, I know a great architect and contractor. So just Thankfully, let me know and I'll too. put y'all to in touch. So. <laughs> I get I get asked this a lot. You know, what what is the process of working with an architect? We're kind of one of those mysterious professions where people kind of know what we do, but you know, we're we're not. There's not a lot of us. So, I think the general public gets a misunderstanding, or you know, maybe there's some intimidation to um, you know reach out to us. And I'm not trying to be a salesman. And I've always told clients when they call me and we start this conversation, I would rather you hire another architect than to just try to make a mistake with one of your biggest investments you'll ever make. You know, you don't have to hire me. Just go find someone that's really good. And so, I, you know, I'm a big supporter of my fellow architect friends in Atlanta and other places that do a great job. But um, the process is really, let's say you have a piece of property. All right, so you just bought it, farm credit helps you close it. And so what's the next step? Well, you know, it's like a pyramid. You know, the client's on top because you're the one generating the cost, you know, the money, whatever. And But um, your architect really, in an ideal world, is your first phone call. He's your agent, and uh, he's your quarterback. He's the one that distributes the ball and, and helps you. It doesn't have to be that process, so linear, but um, you know, some people start with their contractor. They've got a good friend, and that's fine, too. And um, good design will pay for itself, and I think that's where we often get a little um, – you know, people get confused or in, intimidated by the process. Yeah, I mean, there's a fee. You know, I mean, y- you get what you pay for. And um, unfortunately, you know, the world's full of mass-produced uh, cookie-cutter floor plans. And, I mean, there's a value to that, and I know that there's a market for that. And um, and there's nothing wrong with that product. However, if you want something truly sustainable, if you've got the resource to really, um, you know, invest a little bit more on the building – and you appreciate a better quality design, then yes, go hire an architect. And um, so the process would be, well, we, we sit down with a series of, uh, you know, sketches. We, we talk about styles of, of buildings that you like. You know, everyone has that 
image in their head of a child memory or something, some house like you were referring to. What did you grow up in? What what speaks to your heart? You know, whether what there's so many different styles of buildings, like a dress code. There's really no right or wrong. It's just your it's subjective. It's an art. And so, you know, we look at different uh mediums, colors, the textures, forms of buildings. And then, of course, we look at your lot. You know, your lot in an ideal world, as Frank Lloyd Wright would always say, you design with the site, not on the site. You let the site guide your views. You let, you know, the type of trees, the, the terrain, the topography. Um, of course, not everyone has that luxury. Some people just have it as a square lot in a subdivision. And that's fine. We can work with that. But um, so we start with sketches. We start with, you know, square footage. You know, how big do you want it? Um, different things, you know, what's important to you? How do you live? Everyone lives differently. You know, do you have a big family? You got a small family? Do you have a dog? Do you have a, a mother that lives with you? Do you have five cars? Do you have two cars? Um, you, it's tailored. You know, think about a custom suit. I mean, we're all different shapes of bodies. So um, you're building your house in an ideal world is tailored around you and your needs. And then, of course, we talk about money. It always comes down to, well, how much is this going to cost? Um, you know, we have a fee. Um, if it's really complex, I may have to pull in an engineer or something to back me up on a large steel beam or something a little more out of an architect's, you know, comfort level. And then, of course, the contractor. Uh, we got to work with them. So there needs to be a good relationship between the builder and the architect and the owner. Again, think of the triangle. You know, we're all three working together. Um, there needs to be good synergy there and communication. And um, that's kind of the process in a nutshell. And then you ask me about my favorite style or what I'm seeing is popular. Um, you know, there's trends and like any other profession um there was a farmhouse craze you know for a while um it's probably slowing down a little bit but people i see a lot of this uh old world european flair in a modern form that's you see that a lot in the last five to seven years um sometimes it takes a little longer to trickle down to south georgia north florida area for some reason maybe that's just uh i'm not saying we're behind it's just um again we're not doing as many big developments as the bigger cities so we don't have as many opportunities to start with blank canvases um but ad- again as we spoke earlier adaptive reuse taking an old house uh putting a new f- you know an addition on well there's ways to do that but then um as far as new houses go um i am seeing a little drift back towards a little more of uh, modern style windows you know getting away from the victorian the the vertical linear. I don't know, something about that mid-century, I'm seeing some cool stuff pop back up. You know, everything's a trend. And um, I get a lot of requests for your classic Greek Revival style, um, like you were saying, the four columns, the portico, the pediment, um, the, you know, the classics. But, and, and they never go out of style. So there's nothing wrong. It's very safe, very go. Uh, but honestly, to do it right, it's very expensive. Right, and uh, the cost to build that kind of quality is very hard to pull off in this day and age. That's why, again, we support preservation. It's a lot easier to save that old molding and that uh, that old facade and just repair it versus trying to rebuild that in today's market and the with the same quality craftsmanship is almost impossible. It's doable, but you better you know pull your wallet out because you know instead of two hundred bucks a square foot, now you're four or five hundred to produce a classically correct you know, plantation style house. It's, and people just don't understand that until you zoom in the details and you let someone like an architect really show you why this building is different than that building. And once people understand that, they recognize it. It's like, Oh wow. Now I see it. Now I get it. Um, Right. Yeah. There's several homes here in downtown Bainbridge and downtown Thomasville that if you had to rebuild them today, I mean, 
goodness gracious, it'd be a lot of money. I mean, and as long as the wallpaper and shag carpet air doesn't come back around, I think I'll be all right, which I guess that's interior design and not architecture, but that, was a, that a, was a questionable period. I yeah. do have a question. What would you say some of the do's and don'ts would be um, to stand the test of time and um, the timeless architecture? Okay, yeah, do's and don'ts. Um, Low-pitched roofs, you know, if you're going to design, uh, you know, it's very that's very common in the 40s to 70s, the mids, the modernist movements and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, people, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's it's primal or something inside of us. We typically gravitate towards higher pitched roofs. Um, so if you're going to design a building, um, and you you may or may not live there forever, um, but I would. I would probably put a decent sized roof pitch on the house. Um, I would stay, you know, think about a window placement. Um, think about the sun. You know, we design around nature. We design around the solar patterns. You know, in the southeast, we have very hot, humid climate. It's almost subtropical. Uh, the suns are the sun angle in the west on the west facade is pretty harsh. So you got to always think about that. You know, what are you putting in that space? Think about, you know, your compass whenever you're about to build a house or whatever. Um, you you got to think about the, the what's that view going to be look like early in the morning? What's that view going to be like in the evening? Um, let's see, other do's and don'ts. Um, try to build taller ceilings. Um, you know, eight-foot ceilings is real common, again, in that 50s, 60s ranch-style homes. Um, people tend to like taller ceilings. I can concur with that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to go 12 foot, you know, Victorian era, but for some when I'm designing new houses, we never go less than 10. 10 to 12 feet is where we're at and then we go from there. And that's on the first floor. Now the second floor you might go 8 to 10, 8 to 9 feet, but so think about, you know, the taller the the wall, the taller the window, which allows more natural light to enter the space, it feels better, you're happier there. Um you want to spend more time in that space. So little things you can do just from design doesn't, um, yeah, it might drive cost a little bit, but, um, again, if you're spreading out that cost over a 30 year mortgage, then, you know, that peace of mind and that enjoyment of that space is worth it. Um, I can't really think of anything I just don't do because again, it flat is an roofs. art. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> back to the roof. Pit. Yeah. Back to the roof pitch. <laughs> no flat roofs. Yeah. No flat roofs. Cause you got a water leak. It doesn't matter what they say. Going you're going to have some maintenance. And, uh, again, we get a pretty good bit of waterfall. Some, you know, oftentimes here we're not in an arid climate. So you got to think about, and especially around here, humidity is a big thing. Everything's expanding, contracting. We have pretty dramatic swings of temperature. So, um, Window size, roof height, roof pitch, uh, wall height, simple things like that have nothing to do with the actual materials. It's just the the shape of the building. Gotcha. I know I need a higher pitch on my roof because I'm seems I'm like I'm blowing off pine straw every week. So, and maybe my ceilings need to be higher too. I feel like a giant in my house. <laughs> well, you are six, six and a half feet tall. But well, Jordan, after hearing all that, what are you seeing right now? Um, in the market as far as what of our products, what is most popular, um, and what are customers coming to you for, and what do they seem to be liking? Of course, we have our first-time home buyers, which we touched on earlier. We actually have a new construction to perm product that we're really excited about. They can lock in their interest from the beginning of the construction versus having to refinance down the road. 
We offer VA loans, and of course, we offer loans to Homes for Acreage. And we just hope that our listeners, if they're ever wanting to get started, we have an application online where they can go online, apply, and it comes directly to our originators. We have three originators in our 21-county territory, so they can apply there or they can give us a call. Awesome. Well, if you're listening today um, and you haven't heard anything that you wanted to hear, we have our social media polls always open, so please do chime in there. This is for y'all. We want to be educational so that y'all keep tuning back. So at that point, this concludes our podcast today with Jordan, Natalie, and Brandon. For more information or to read a transcript of today's podcast, visit our website at swgafarmcredit.com. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app to get notified of new episodes and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for great industry resources. Thanks for listening and have a Merry Christmas.